It's really important to have a voice so that you can be confident in who you are and what value you're bringing to the table. The stronger my voice became, the more people trusted me and also gave me a lot of strength to navigate complex situations and to solve really hard problems. Welcome to Real Creative Leadership, a place where creative leaders can find insights and practical guidance on the day-to-day job of being a creative leader. We focus on real issues, topics, and insights of creativity in the business world. Join me as we explore the best strategies for developing your team, getting others to embrace your vision, and generating amazing experiences. This series is produced by The Stoke Group, and I'm your host, Adam Morgan, Adobe Executive Creative Director and author of Sorry Spock, Emotions Drive Business. And this is Real Creative Leadership. Hello and welcome. Welcome back to Real Creative Leadership. I'm your host, Adam Morgan, and we are excited to dig into this exciting new topic of how to find your voice and vision. So today, our special guest is a a wonderful human being, and I just just had so many great conversations with her leading up to this. So I'm so excited to hear for you all to hear her story. So I'd like to introduce to you the head of brand design at Grammarly, Liz O. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. This is, um, you know, we're getting here near the end of season three, which is, uh, you know, it's so interesting. I, I'd heard like that of some podcasts, it's like most podcasts, like 90% only get past episode three when they create them, which <laughs> makes sense because I've been a part of a few that have only gone to three. So the fact that we're like, you know, 60 something in, it's pretty awesome. So I'm excited to have you as, as, as part of this journey with us. Before we get into our topic um, of finding your voice, first, just give us a little bit of your, an introduction of you, your background and how you relate to creativity and this industry, and then we'll get digging into the, into the topic. Yeah, of course. Well, I started in creativity, I would say it was identified when I was probably more in high school. Um, and then eventually I went to uh, Rhode Island School of Design. Uh, where I really found myself and um, really found my community. And once I graduated, I started to work in New York City, where I was able to, it was the early 2000s, there weren't a lot of opportunities Mm -hmm. uh, for young designers, but I got good internships. Um, I explored different opportunities in any industry that would really take me at the time. And learned a lot from a lot of colleagues and peers and, and senior people um, that I had the pleasure of working with. And then I really found myself in New York um, working at a small studio called PS New York. And um, that's where I really learned a lot. Um, the work was really centered around um, arts, cultural um, spaces, and um, nonprofits. And I think that was that really... Um, aligned with a lot of the things that I wanted to be doing more of. Um, after working there for quite some time, I um, wanted to explore working with different disciplines, um, with different companies, um, and went into the agency world. Um, and um, that's where I joined mid you know, to large size agencies, um, where I got to work with big clients like IBM, Bloomberg, um, to name a couple, and, and really helped shape um, whether it be products to um, brand refreshes, uh, really got to work with a lot of uh, different um, clients across the board. 
And then I moved to LA in 2016 and uh, really tried to explore what, what it was like out here. I had never left um, New York City, so I'd been there for 13 plus years and uh, really tried to explore what the opportunities were here. Uh, found myself at Red Interactive Agency, working with entertainment clients, and then at Compass, uh, where I led the design team. Um, and I was here for, I was there for um, four and a half years. And uh, that was really exciting. I really got to build a design team, help build a design team. And then I joined Grammarly um, in November of last, of last year. Um, and I joined because I have been a longtime user of Grammarly. And uh, I was really excited because I didn't really know that much about the design team at the time. And once I got to know the design team, it just seemed like a perfect fit for me. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and and lived experience there with your career. But I actually (laughs) find it fun that you're the head design at Grammarly, a a, a product or a, you know, a a technology that helps us with speaking and and voice. And we're going to be talking about the interesting topic today is how do you find your voice and how do you understand yeah. your voice and how do you use your voice? I think a little bit of setup for the users is that uh, we've been talking a little bit about how during this pandemic, so many things have changed. You know, we've had, it used to be, it was all, you know, in person. And so the extroverts ruled the land. And then we moved to this um, kind of hybrid or actually like remote world. And it was like, all the extroverts were hating it like me and all the introverts are loving it, you know, because it's all just, you know, from your own space and now it's going to be hybrid. So it's like, it's going to, it's a really good time to understand the the balance between those two different personalities and how you can, you know, figure out to find your path, you know, amid all the chaos of, of uh, the different voices out there. So let's start with that. Early on, when we talked earlier, you mentioned that in the first 10 years of your career, you felt like you didn't have a voice. Can you explain yeah. a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I was always taught growing up that as long as we were heads down and worked really hard, uh, that we would succeed. And, you know, coming from a family of hard workers, um, perfectionists, uh, who really did that and and pursued the American dream um, coming from South Korea, I think that was really ingrained in me, and that is exactly what I did when once I started working in New York City. Um, I was really heads down. I really thought doing the work, you know, staying up till midnight, overachieving or exceeding expectations was really all I needed to do to really be recognized and succeed. Um, I quickly found, though, that, um, you know, by being silent, by being the one doing the work, not being recognized for the work, Um, letting other people take recognition for the work that I was doing um, was really starting to be a disservice, not only to myself, um, but it would start to be a disservice to everyone I worked with. And then ultimately the client too, when, whenever it was for client work, because it was um, because if, if the ideas and the work were being generated by me at the time, even though I was, I was very junior and I was still learning um, not having my idea fully um, recognized or fully um, heard throughout um, Mm -hmm. really led to an outcome that wasn't ideal for anybody. Um, And it wasn't fully solving the problem. Um, And I think that for me, I just started to see like gaps in in that, right? Like when I had someone, it's kind of like the the game of telephone, right? Like things get lost um, because you're not speaking up, someone's speaking up for you. And then it's like, not quite the idea that you have, but you're kind of running with it. And and that's what ultimately started to happen. And I started to recognize that. 
I also started to see that it was true that the people that were speaking up were getting recognized for the work and they were being heard and they were being respected in the room. And I think that for me, that was really hard to do because I didn't like to speak up. I got very nervous. I, um, my voice would shake a lot. Um, and, and I, I just thought that, Oh, I, I, I really wanted the idea or my articulation of the idea to be perfect before I actually said something. And by then it was already too late. So for me, it was very much like, okay, let's just keep (laughs) staying heads down, doing the work and making sure that I could uh, do the best that I can um, and hope that someone will recognize me. And, and I think that that started to, I started to realize probably maybe my fifth year into working that that probably is not the best way to progress in your career. And I started to work on myself and and try to figure out ways to present ideas, to articulate ideas in a way that other people would understand, understand how other people uh, spoke. So really practicing active listening um, and and seeing how other people uh, communicated overall. And I think that was really inspiring to me. And and so I I did tons of things. Um, You know, I used to walk around in my small apartment in, in New York City, um, saying things out loud, practicing um, how I said things um, in meetings and making sure, again, that that felt really, um, that I could speak very confidently about what I was saying um, and, and that that would then be heard. Um, my voice was also <laughs> very strangely because uh, on a personal level, it's, it's never this way. Um, I'm always told that I, you know, that my voice really does, um, extend. Um, but in the professional setting, my voice, uh, quite literally was very quiet. Um, it mm. was very hard for, uh, me to not just speak up, but even just talk my volume was was so low that it was just hard to even get to um, past a whisper, you know. And I think that mm-hmm. that in and of itself was something that I really, really did have to work on. Um, because again, I think I, I recognize that okay, it didn't matter how great my work was, things were getting lost, and ultimately I was not growing because I was just in that safe space of being my introverted self, being mm-hmm. quite mute and being quite um, quiet in, in in a lot of these situations. I'd love to back up just a little bit because yeah. there was a turning point for you. It's not <laughs> just like over time that you realize, yeah. oh, I need to be better at this. And I think a lot of us internally have those kind of wrestling within with mm-hmm. ourselves. But what was the actual turning point? Like you told me of a, a specific moment when a friend made a, a comment. So I'd love to hear yeah. that story. Yes, it was. I, I do specifically remember this. It was when <laughs> it seemed like there had been a pattern in my career um, where um, the positions that I was in and the circumstances that I was in and the teams that I was on, um, it seemed like the outcome was very similar. And sort of my critique back to why it wasn't a good fit for me was pretty similar too. And then ultimately it was a question of like, okay, these are different environments, totally different people, different companies, different clients, everything's different. The common denominator here is me. So what is the... what? What can I do to figure out um, and be really, uh, really reflective on what I can do to um, make sure that uh, I'm doing everything that I can to be honest with myself 
uh, and, and really improve. And then I think after about three to four times in that circumstance, it was really clear to me that I really needed to figure out a way to find my voice and not in a way that, again, mimicked other successful voices necessarily, but find my personal voice to be able to be seen and heard um, and to be understood as a creative. Yeah. And I loved it. Like you mentioned, you would walk around and practice and yeah. try and find your voice, but you went even further than that. Like tell everyone something about a coach and some other things like that. You, yeah. there was a very deliberate journey that you went through to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I, first it was like, okay, is it just presentations? What, what is it? You know, it was like really diagnosing, uh, like I had a plan and I had a plan mm-hmm. because I really wanted to become a creative leader. And I knew that in order to do so, I needed to work on specific areas. Um, I needed to figure out how to, um, say the things that I needed to say. Um, and I really need to understand like how to how to think strategically, for example. Um, so I worked with different coaches. Um, I worked on public speaking, really being able to, again, um, hear myself uh, and not cringe every time, <laughs> um, but be okay with that, hearing myself. And then I really wanted to, um, I really worked on everything from written to verbal communication um, and really figuring out what kind of style I really wanted to embrace. Um, and, and that meant, uh, practicing everywhere I could. Um, that's one thing, um, that meant practicing in the car on my way to a commute, like commuting, um, that meant in the shower, that meant everywhere that I could possibly practice. That meant trying different things, like whether it be cue cards, whether it be notes, whether it be practicing, memorizing, whatever it would be. I really ran the gamut of trying to find ways and tools that could help me. Um, and that also meant uh, bringing my partner into the conversation and and saying things or presenting things and pitching ideas and then having critiques that way as well. So I think for me, I, I really tried to start in areas that I felt most safe <laughs> and then started to branch out in ways that made me feel very uncomfortable and I think the discomfort definitely did change me and helped every single time. I still do struggle every day, um, all the time, but I think that it overall, it has helped me build that confidence. Yeah. Two thoughts on that. Like, first of all, I find it fascinating that when you are going through, it's not just the practicing and the public speaking, but he also mentioned, you know, learning more strategic thought and ideas, because I think mm-hmm. a big part of finding your voice is not just the expression of your voice, but also what do you stand for? Yeah. What do you believe in? What do you care about? Yeah. What are the things yeah. that you're passionate about? And that's got to come through with your voice as well. Yeah, it does. And I think the thing that was really good for me was, and I think I mentioned this to you last time as well, was that I really kept a journal of things that mm. resonated with me um, as a young designer. Um, so I kept it in, in sort of those quiet, darker moments where I was, uh, you know, staying up really late at night, working on things. Um, and I remember keeping a journal of things that, um, were hard and challenging for me. Um, and things that were, you know, experiences that were beacons of light for me. Um, like for example, a senior designer pulling me aside and giving me advice on something that was totally unsolicited. Um, so things like that, that really did help me that really started to shape my perspective on like what really does work and wanting to be more like that, um, in my own way. And I think that that really did start to help me understand, right? Like when, 
when I see a creative director going to a meeting and when I was a designer um, and, and really start to present ideas um, that are full on creative strategy that really encompass every aspect of the business goals or the outcomes or solving the problem. I think that that really started to inspire me to figure out, okay, what, what is that for me and how do I need, what do I need to do to learn how to, um, to really, uh, holistically approach it that way myself. That is an amazing story. Like not many of us <laughs> kept a journal of all of the lessons <laughs> learned. And, and I would say like, not just the good things, but also the bad things that you've learned and how to ad adapt. Maybe yeah. tell us a little bit more about that of like the good and the bad and how that affects you today when you go back and, and check your journal for what you thought back then. Yeah. I think the thing that I recognized is that I think I recognized this very early on in my career when you become very senior um, it's very hard. You, you forget, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you do, it's hard to remember what it felt like to be a junior designer or an intern. And I think having gone through some hard experiences in New York, I think I really didn't want to forget if, if I had the privilege and this is a big if at the time uh -huh. there was no, uh, there was no sort of guarantee that I would become a creative leader. I think for me, it was very much like if I ever make it there, I want to remember what this felt like um, as as a as a young designer um, who didn't know much, who was scared uh, and really anxious. Um, and so, I think for me that was really helpful because there were there were things that did a lot of harm, right? And there were there were interactions, there were experiences that um, that set me back and 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 brought me down in a way that didn't help. Um, me become who I am today. But those were all lessons that I learned um, to overcome and to remember not to do um, when I, if again, if I became a creative leader, not to mimic or not to do and to, and to, and to make sure that I don't behave that way. I think that was really, that was really, that's really an important thing. And that's something that I reference quite often because um, sometimes I'll, you know, there'll be something happening. And, and I think in order to build empathy, I do reference it because I, I really do want to make sure that I'm understanding it from a place of um, a place of true understanding and true empathy to that person um, and to younger uh, or more junior creatives. Well, I'm sure like, <laughs> That gives you like empathy superpower, like, yeah. have, like this special little notepad that you can go back and reference and be like, how did I do? The rest of us just try and remember, oh yeah, I knew what it was like to be, a <laughs> this is what I cared about, but we're just yeah. going off of, you know, old memories. You have like a, a written record of it, which is pretty powerful. Yeah. Oh, one of the things that I come back to time and time again is actually recognition because the times that I did get recognition, obviously it didn't come from advocating for myself. Uh, but when I did, it was, it was just quite incredible um, how much impact that had on me as a young designer. Anytime I got even a shred of recognition. And I think that has carried through for sure. Uh, because I do think that for creatives that I can relate to or even not relate to and, 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 but I can see, as a bit more, a bit less experienced than I am, um, not getting the recognition, I see what that impact, how that impacts their performance. And I think that's something that I really tried to stay true to as a learning from that record, from being able to remember what it felt like to not be recognized and to be quite invisible um, in the process. 
Well, that's so fascinating because I think most of the time as leaders, we're like, oh yeah, I recognize that person, but it could mm-hmm. have been a year and a half ago. But in your mind, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I took care of that check. <laughs> exactly. For you to recognize <laughs> that, that we need to, that it does make a bigger difference than we think in, in early careers of how we address for sure. people. Oh, that's interesting. Well, maybe let me ask this question. So Obviously, since you have, uh, you know, empathy superpower, and that's a huge part of, of leadership, and maybe some of us can learn from that. But, um, you know, some might say, yeah, 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 right. Like in our industry, it's like the days of the iron fist are gone. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like it, not a, everyone's as mean as it was like for me in the, in the mid nineties, everyone was just ruthless. And like, you know, maybe there's the question of like, are we too soft in business? Are we too mm-hmm. empathetic? Does this empathy and softness really help business or does it make a difference? What are your thoughts? I don't think that we're too soft. I think that we are still somewhat misunderstood in business. And I don't think we have yet um, established ourselves um, within businesses to have everyone understand. And I think that once we do, I do think that there will be It's not about even softness or even empathy. I think we will just see better work because there will be just much more energy and passion around it. I think that a lot of creatives in the tech world, in any kind of business setting, probably don't feel as as understood um, within the business on how they actually make a business like impact on the business and how they could positively affect business. And I think that uh, most likely it's coming from the structure. It's, it's very mm-hmm. structural. And so I do think that if the structure can evolve to be inclusive of design, I think that and designers and writers and creatives overall, I think that we will see that, the rigor that people miss from those old days will come pretty naturally because I think as creative problem solvers, we are very much wired. Many of us, not all of us, but many of us are wired to want to go solve it, right? Have ideas wherever we go or, you know, we don't really shut off because I think that Mm -hmm. that's just how a lot of creative brains are sort of wired. Um, But I think that the difference is, is that, is is the structure is are we set up to really have an impact on the business or not and i do think that as creative leaders it is our responsibility to make sure that there is that space and that that structure does evolve to include design which is not easy and there are going there are going to be some companies that will not be open to that and i think that that is you know, then that's, that's the question that I have for that business or, or those companies, because, um, I do think that does that design plays a huge role in, in, in overall, you know, shaping of experiences that really do lead to positive business outcomes. Oh, hundred percent. In fact, yeah. as you bring it up, <clears throat> that's a big part of what real creative leadership is all about is that, you know, our creative voice is often overshadowed by everyone speaking business mm-hmm. or marketing or, mm-hmm. or, or finance or operations mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. And, and in leadership of companies right now, those are, those are strong voices. Mm-hmm. So here's the question, how have you created space for creative voices to show up more and, and, and how, and show how creativity can help more in business? What are some of the tactics you've taken? 
Yeah. I think a lot of the ways to do that is finding ways to build trust with those leaders across the board. I think that is the first step that a lot of uh, leaders need to take is is really assessing the situation at a company, especially since I'm relatively new still at Grammarly. Again, I think I lean into active listening. I really do try to understand and see and analyze how other people interact um, to really understand how I can build trust. Because I don't want to come in um, to a new company, especially coming out really strong. I do want to learn a lot first, learn the lay of the land, um, learn how to work with leaders um, and learn what what they are really receptive to versus, you know, coming in with my sort of point of view too strong. That said, I think once um, you have been at a company and you do you do build those relationships, you do build that trust. I do think having a strong POV is really important. And I think really being consistent on that and not backing down from that is something that I've seen time and time again as um, something that really works because it is clear to me that creative teams in these settings are oftentimes the anomaly, right? Like everyone else is speaking the same language and you're the ones that are not. Um, so I think it's like being that bridge, educating, being consistent, and then holding the line, I think is really important. Also, I because there is that need to bridge the gap, I do think that in that process, it is really, really important that people understand why. I think once you explain and educate and, and share with cross-functional leaders who are not creative or not designers or not writers, um, I think that once you share reasons why things have to be a certain way or that you're proposing something new. Um, once they understand why, I find that most people are really a lot more open-minded to change um, than you would think. You know, being a creative leader is so different than just sitting back and waiting. Like you have to make change. You have to make yeah. opportunity. You have to speak marketing. You have to speak finance. You have to understand yes. the why of the business so that you can say, and here's why creative is going to help improve that. Here's how we right. take steps to get there. So I'd exactly. love to switch to this. So perhaps there are some listening to this right now thinking, oh, you know, maybe I don't have a voice. Maybe, you know, I'm not vocal enough. And it's not just a, like, again, we established having a voice isn't just being loud mouth. Mm -hmm. um, but I would love to hear from your experience of like, why should they share their voice more often? What's the why for them rather than just the why for the business? It's really important to have a voice so that you can be confident in who you are and what your what value you're bringing to the table. I think that over time it's really clear to me that the stronger my voice became, the more people trusted me. And mm -hmm. that trust came with a lot of responsibility, but that responsibility also gave me a lot of strength um, to um, to navigate complex situations and to solve really hard problems. And I think that as a creative, um, you want that strength. I think that you want to be able to build that up. And just like anything else in life, I think that um, you having that voice is going to just strengthen so many aspects of your life, not just in work. And I think that that is, that is something that I take with me and I, and I don't take that for granted. I think that again, that did not happen easily in any way, shape or form, but I do think that it has helped me 
it was also really clear to me that there were a lot of people that didn't look like me or sound like me. And I think that was really discouraging to me as a young designer. Um, And it didn't feel like I had a place because of that. So early on, I was, it's like I self-discouraged, right? Because I was like, it doesn't exist. So it's probably not for me. And, and I do really want to encourage people to not do that (laughs) because um, I heard something recently, which is you can't be what you don't see. And so I think it's, it's one of those things where you can be that person for yourself. And I feel that it's really, really important um, that you take those risks on yourself and start to shape your voice. I can't say enough how important it was to have um, teams to have designers, to have colleagues, to have partners, have friends um, who were also just really encouraging to you. So I hope that everyone has that. Um, and, and, and I feel that that, is, that was an important aspect to um, who I am today. Well, just listening, and I hope this doesn't come off as too catchphrasy, but it, it <laughs> sounds like a, a short summary of that is build your voice and you're building your career. Yeah. And then where you took it was and your life. So yes. if you want to build a better life, it starts by building a, a stronger yeah. voice. Yeah. Everyone thinks I'm just like this extroverted, loud mouth, whatever, <laughs> you know, and what they don't realize is not everyone. It, it took me time to figure that out too. Like I, mm-hmm. in high school was the kid in ninth grade. I remember I called him a wall comber. Myself was a wall comber where I just like scoot along the edge of the wall and get from one class to the next and never yeah. shall I talk with anyone. And even with like, you know, I go out and speak in front of huge groups it took a lot for me to train my brain, even, you know, as I become more and more extroverted, I had to like, think about like, this is fun. This is excitement. This isn't scary. This isn't about fear or worries, but it's all the positive stuff that I had to like, keep telling myself it's this, it's this, it's this, it's it's awesome. This is what I want. And then now it is that like, I don't worry about talking in front of people and I can hold, you know, a conversation and I know what I need to talk about. So all this is so much great advice of for all of us. So if anyone's out there listening, please <laughs> go out there. You know, Liz is such a great example of being so purposeful about it. You know, a lot of us just kind of same with creativity. It's more of like a Zen experience where you just kind of figure it out. But I think having some purpose around this and really as we're looking toward the end of this year and looking for next year and, you know, goals, this is a good one. Like how can I work on my voice and what I believe in and how I express it and how I, and how I show up. And I think that is just something all of us can benefit from. I think, I think you said it all. I think that one of the things that I would just add to that is that I, um, I really do believe that creatives can change everything. I, I, I think that we have, we have a lot of great, I've seen so many incredible designers and writers and producers and just so many people who are pouring their heart and soul into, so much incredible work. And I do think that um, I, I'm just, I'm constantly in awe and inspired um, by people around me and by especially the younger generations. And I think that I'm just really excited to still be a part of this industry and to be able to work alongside everyone and to keep learning. I think that I think that there, I think the reason why I love this work in general is because I think that there's nothing that we can't solve. And I'm really excited. Now, just hearing you say that really not quite choked me up, but I felt the power of that. You know, I've always felt that creative ideas can change everything. 
but it's also mm-hmm. true that creative people can change everything. And that, and when I say creative people, I believe everyone can be creative. It's not just designers yeah. and writers, but they just happen to spend a lot more time focused on that. But absolutely, yeah. the more we tap into our natural human creativity, the more we are going to improve the world and change things and, and, and improve our lives. So that's awesome. That's a great story. Well, Liz, thank you so much for sharing all of your wonderful insight and how you found your voice. And I really hope that our listeners out there can find a path forward to get their voice figured out and also heard more. But if someone wants to follow up on with you and, and follow your career, where would they find you? Tell us your URLs. Yeah. The best way to find me is through LinkedIn. Um, so please do follow me, connect. Uh, you could also see some of my work, not my most recent work, uh, at lizo.design. That's, that's Liz, L-I-Z-O-H dot design. Um, and we are working um, at Grammarly very hard on all of the work um, for 2023. Um, and so we will be more external facing. And so URLs like Grammarly.design will be live um, in 2023. Well, and as always, you can find us at realcreativeleadership.com where you can you know, see past shows, episodes, look at show notes, any of the detail you want on any of the shows. And we encourage you to join the conversation, build your voice, maybe by you know, making some comments on our YouTube channel or wherever else you listen to Real Creative Leadership. So we would love to hear any of your feedback. Me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. And uh, at adamwmorgan.com if you want to learn more about my books or articles or other, other things that I'm working on. And then as always, we appreciate the Stoke Group who helps produce this show. So you can find them at thestokegroup.com if you need help with strategic or creative insights or help on any of the projects you're working on. They're, they're a great partner. So thanks again for listening. Good luck, everyone, searching and finding your voice. And we hope to hear more from all of you out there in the industry. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Real Creative Leadership. I'm your host, Adam Morgan. This series is produced by The Stoke Group, a full-service digital marketing agency that specializes in content marketing, video, and interactive experiences. If you're looking for a partner to build a strategy and content that delivers, visit thestokegroup.com and connect today.